You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, September 24th, 2023. Friends, today we continue our series on Genesis, and the title of my sermon is In the Pit Again, Naturally. Let us pray. May the Lord of our spirit watch over us and guide us now. May our words and our thoughts be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgive me if some of you have heard me tell this story. I don't typically pay much attention to my dreams. Like most of us, I tend to forget them the moment I wake up. And the rest of them are usually a train wreck, a combination of an attic and the Albert and Victoria Museum, if you've ever been there. Lots of Victorian junk. But occasionally, the dreams stick, and they seem to have a clear meaning. When I moved from Washington, D.C., and the National Cathedral to Dallas, Texas, and SMU, I had one of those meaningful dreams. I had prayed a lot about the move, and I was certain vocationally that it was the right choice to make. I had really enjoyed being on the cathedral staff, and there is nothing like the space in the cathedral in D.C., but my role as canon educator entailed building public programs, and I had become Oprah Winfrey to the theologically acute masses. And I was certain that moving to SMU, although it was a Methodist institution, would make it easier for me to live out my vocation, both as a priest and as an academic. But it was a big adjustment, and Texas itself requires a big adjustment. You can see forever. Most of what count as trees are just overgrown shrubs. And the weather is bipolar. I arrived in the middle of an 89-day drought that was finally broken by thunderstorms and baseball-sized hail. So I was really struggling to feel what I knew was the right move. And then one night, I dreamed that I was back at the cathedral. The feelings associated with the dream were more important than what happened. The minute I sat down at my old desk, I was elated to be back. And I no sooner than got through that emotion that I heard an inner voice say, you have done everything that you can do here. And at that point, I woke up and thought to myself, well, God bless Texas. Now, I tell you this story because I think that for most of us, the persistent emphasis on dreams in the Joseph saga strike us as far-fetched. But I think that all of us have had at least one dream that has been meaningful to us. And I think some of us probably have a good number of them. Dreams 
are a product of our subconscious, and our minds continue to work on problems and challenges when we sleep. And I am convinced that God speaks to us through those dreams and sometimes speaks to us even more effectively than God can when we are conscious and we are prone to put up barriers to hearing what God has to tell us. Joseph also lived in a culture that was ready to hear the voice of God and to imagine God speaking in the middle of the night. People who are not religious are probably convinced that this doesn't happen. And it doesn't in the people, lives of people who don't believe that it can happen. A person who thinks that art is rubbish will think of it as a waste of time and see no beauty in a painting. People who have a tin ear or no experience of music will think that music is not worth spending the time on. But Joseph lived in a world where they thought that listening was worth doing. What unfolds then in chapters 40 and 41 of Genesis is driven by dreams. But this time, Joseph isn't the dreamer. He is the interpreter of dreams. Having been framed by Potiphar's wife, he is imprisoned in the roundhouse, a prison that is much more like a pit than a jail. And with apologies to Gilbert O'Sullivan, Joseph must have thought, in the pit again, naturally. The, type, uh, the titles that Joseph's cellmates have contributes to our understanding of the story. One is Pharaoh's cupbearer, and the other is his baker. These men are not royalty then, but they do work in Pharaoh's household. They have jobs that carry with them a measure of prestige and a modest claim of intimacy with the Pharaoh and his royal household. Think Downton Abbey, only ancient Egypt. There is also another layer to their roles, however, that has nothing to do with servants in jolly old England. Both of them are men who are responsible for what the Pharaoh consumes. And ancient intrigue being what it was, they are charged with protecting the Pharaoh from being poisoned. The cupbearer, for example, is a cross between a sommelier and a bodyguard. He is entrusted not just with choosing and pouring Pharaoh's wine, but he is charged with sampling it in case he is poisoned. And the baker had similar responsibilities. After some day, time, Joseph approaches them in jail. And the fact that he does makes it clear that Joseph is a very different person than the entitled kid with the electric coat. In the past, he had dreams and he co-opted his family as a makeshift audience. And he figured at the center of those stories. But in chapter 39, we are told that the warden has put him in charge of everyone in the prison. And the Lord was with Joseph and gave success to his efforts. So this time, he is alert to people around him rather than just to himself. And the man who has been shown mercy 
gives mercy to others. Knowing this helps us to understand why Joseph asks his two cellmates about their well-being. But it also shows that they have a new attentiveness to what they're experiencing. He asks the two prisoners, why are your faces downcast today? The question not only suggests that Joseph had discovered newfound interest in others, but that he had also learned to notice what people were thinking and feeling. The Hebrew is translated in the English, why are you downcast? But it's actually much more complicated than that. It can mean sad, angry, troubled, perplexed. And it may suggest that Joseph can tell that the cupbearer is genuinely mystified as to why he's been jailed, but that the baker is angry at having been caught. If that's the case then, the dreams that they describe and the interpretations that Joseph offers are easier to understand. The cupbearer may have fell foul of Pharaoh's enemies or he may have simply missed a fly that did a swan dive in the Pharaoh's wine. But if the baker put a stone in the Pharaoh's bread, then he may have been trying to choke the Pharaoh or at least charge him more for the flour than he deserved. In response to Joseph's inquiry, his cellmates tell him that they have dreamed a dream, and the cupbearer asks Joseph to solve the dream. The way that he asks for Joseph's help suggests that what he expects is the kind of help that Egyptians gave when dreams were experienced. Dreams were, in ancient Israel, designed to be deciphered or decoded. And the Egyptians actually had schools called houses of life that were designed to train specialists in the skill of solving dreams. But Joseph is clear about how he will go about the task. And he tells the cupbearer, are not solutions to come from God? The expression, we have dreamed a dream, also suggests that the two servants may have seen their dreams as parts of a larger dream. And it suggests that they are convinced that it is a window into their lives. As it turns out, however, the dreams reflect very different outcomes, driven in part by the fact, perhaps, that one of them has a clear conscience and the other does not. And this may explain why the baker waits to ask for Joseph's help. Both dreams allude to three days. The imagery alludes to their respective role, the grapevines to the work of the cupbearer, the baskets of bread to the work of the baker. Both dreams say that the Pharaoh lifts up their head, but one of them is recognized and restored and the other one has his head lifted up to make it easier to take it off. Despite Joseph's request that the cupbearer remember him, he forgets Joseph. And it is two years later before another opportunity presents itself. And this time, it is the Pharaoh who has a dream. 
It is urgent need for an interpretation that prompts the cupbearer to recommend Joseph. Significantly, even though Joseph prepares himself for his appearance with the Pharaoh by shaving in the same way that Egyptians would shave, he is still clear that he is dependent upon God. And when Pharaoh suggests that Joseph will be the solution to his problem, Joseph is just as clear with the Pharaoh as he is with the cupbearer. Not I, he says, but God will be the answer to the Pharaoh's well-being. So, listening with the story of Joseph, the interpreter of dreams, what can we learn? What kinds of applications does this story have to our own lives? Let me suggest a handful of possibilities. One, listen to your dreams, especially if you're not accustomed to doing it. If you are like me, there'll be many times when they appear to mean nothing at all. Often you won't remember them, and if you don't focus on them right away, you probably will forget them. But if you have one that is vivid and speaks in meaningful ways to your life, God may be trying to tell you something. Pay attention. Two, find someone to listen with you. Those who know you and love you may realize things about your dream that you can't. And even if all that they do is affirm the message that you yourself have garnered from the dream, remember that too can be helpful. It is worthwhile having someone to whom you can be accountable and share that journey. Three, and more broadly, Remember to be faithful even if you are forgotten. It is easy to read the story of Joseph and to assume that Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer so that he would be remembered at just the right time. And that might be, but I doubt it. I am sure that Joseph was distressed when the cupbearer forgot him. I am sure that the two years he spent there were felt unproductive and pointless. And I am equally sure that for the cupbearer, remembering him when Pharaoh had a need was to the cupbearer's advantage and might have been the first time it was really worth it to him to remember Joseph. But it is also important to remember that the point of the story of Joseph is not that we're remembered. The point is being faithful, whatever circumstances may apply to us. And the only way to move forward in life is often to put ourselves back into God's hands at difficult times. Four, remember that when you are blessed, pay it forward. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Joseph reflects this conviction in the active interest that he takes in his cellmates. And a missed opportunity, like the one that the cupbearer went through, can also have a negative impact on those around us. God is gracious. And because God is gracious, we should be gracious to others. 
And then fifth and finally, remember that even when things go wrong, God is still on our side. The promise of the Old and New Testaments is not that faithfulness will be repaid in material terms. The logic of Scripture is that the wisdom and meaning that we experience in life begins with knowing that there is a God and that we are not. Dag Hammarskjöld, the Secretary General of the United Nations years ago, put it succinctly, God does not die on the day that we cease to believe in a personal deity, but we die on the day when we cease to be illumined by God. Hammarskjöld was right. We all die, but we need not die to truth, to beauty, to wisdom, to the presence of God. And we need not grieve as those without hope. And Joseph came to understand this. We may find ourselves in the pit during life's journey, but we need not be alone. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.